The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John. Glory, Glory to, to you, Lord, Lord Christ. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Why then are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Do you remember learning to cross the street? You come to the edge, you stop, you look left, you look right, and then you proceed. Today, in our Advent journey, we cross the street. We began Advent with the call to direct our eyes to the cross, to look left. Last week, we heard the call to direct our eyes to the coming kingdom, to look right. This week, we hear the call to proceed. We stand right here and right now in our very present moment. We look back at the glory of the cross. We look ahead to the coming of the kingdom. And standing between these two benchmarks, we are called to proceed. We are called to align our lives in this eternal line and to walk. So today we look at Paul's letter to the fledgling church in Thessaloniki, and we hear him call us to direct our eyes to our own preparation. We heard last week from one of the earliest, or one of the latest letters in our New Testament canon, and this week we hear from one of the first. As we read in Luke's account of Paul's missionary journey, Paul and Silas, and probably Timothy, Timothy also, came to Thessaloniki after being run out of Philippi. They spend several weeks there, and ultimately they teach in the synagogue, proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. Over three weeks, more and more people hear this message. And this message begins to threaten the status quo. Some of the leaders of the forming church are publicly beaten and fined. And Paul and Silas leave in the middle of the night. This pattern repeats itself in Beroea. And then Paul goes to Athens for a bit before settling finally in Corinth for about 18 months. And it's likely that this first letter to the church of the Thessalonians was written during this time in Corinth. So what kind of letter is this? It actually follows the form of a speech more than the form of a letter. Paul writes intending for this letter to be read aloud as if he were standing there. It follows a particular form of public speaking, a form often used for funerals or other commemorations 
public figures. It is a eulogy, a good word, the type of speech that a patron might purchase from a professional speaker. And yet Paul uses this form in a way that critiques the patronage system and the empty words of praise spoken in public places, beautifully formed yet devoid of power or truth. Instead, Paul calls the Thessalonians to see themselves as being under the patronage of Christ. Paul speaks about the transforming power of the gospel, the gospel that comes not in words only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. He talks about the response to this gospel in the transformed life, the life of faith and love and steadfast hope, the life that replicates in community and imitates and images Christ to others, the life lived worthy of the calling of God, holy and blameless, the life that is deeply rooted and dependent on prayer. We join this eulogy, this speech, in praise of the work of Christ and the faithful response of the young church at its conclusion, as Paul moves from a description of the work, the call, and the hope of the gospel into a prescription and encouragement for the community at Thessalonica. We hear Paul say, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Paul has gone to great length to dismiss the way of patronage and influence by it. He calls on the young church to esteem highly those who labor and those who lead. Even when they call us to repent and to walk according to the way of Christ instead of continuing to conform to the way of the world. He tells us not to measure esteem by the standards of patronage, looking to esteem those who are rich enough to buy your praise. This young church is not to appropriate the system of patronage into the church so that those who are called to lead misuse this calling in order to abuse or burden others. Instead, by love they are to see Christ at work in those who are able to host the church in their house, those who labor among the poor, and in one another as they work in the name of Jesus. Paul continues with instructions on how this actually looks in community. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. In love and mutual esteem, be at peace. Do not be jealous of one another. Do not burden one another. Bring the way of peace within community by admonishing the idle, encouraging the faint-hearted, helping the weak, and doing all this in gentle patience. Practice restorative justice, seeking to do good and bringing peace rather than seeking the retributive justice that brings punishment, thereby returning evil this type of community does not come easily within the community of the church, nor is it well accepted outside of the community. This is a community of the power of the gospel and of the Holy Spirit in full conviction. 
This is a community that is dependent on the power of God. Paul implores them, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of a world that does not understand, rejoice! It's taken science almost 2,000 years to recognize the neurochemistry of gratitude and the power of the discipline of rejoicing. Paul knows this already from revelation and from experience. Rejoice, pray at all times, giving thanks to God in all circumstances. Rejoice that the love of God sustains us in all things. In a later letter to the church at Philippi, Paul will write from prison that the peace of God, that peace that is beyond human understanding and transcends human circumstances, is found as we rejoice and pray. Paul goes on to talk about the connection between a life of prayer and a life in community. He tells the community in Thessaloniki, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. In this life of prayer, this life lived in the very presence of the living God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do not think that God does not speak. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise the way that God speaks truth, even challenging, uncomfortable truth, into the community by whomever he chooses. But also, also be wary of those who would claim a lie as truth, those who would call evil good and lead others astray while claiming to speak for God. Test everything. Know what is good. Reject all that is evil. Paul recognizes that this is not a task for mere mortals. This requires the power of God at work within community, and so he prays. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who call, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You know, this is actually one of my favorite prayers that Paul gives us. It's the prayer I turn to when I'm called to pray for people that I don't want to pray for. To pray for those who make me angry, for those who hurt me. Jesus commands us to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute this in his letter to the Romans. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. It is this prayer that the God of peace sanctify you completely, that you may be found blameless in the coming of our Lord. This is a prayer that I can pray over anyone, friend or enemy. Paul knows that his own work depends not on himself, but on the power of God, and so he asks, brothers, Pray for us. Each week in our time of corporate prayer, we lift up the bishops and clergy of this diocese. And we list in our bulletin the different parishes within our diocese for you to lift up in prayer during the week. The work of the church depends on prayer. Brothers and sisters, pray for us.
concludes with a call to share in community and to share in grace. Greet all the brothers with the holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. I wonder how Paul might write to us. I wonder, what if, what if Timothy, who brought the report back to Paul about the church in Thessalonica, what if he had spent the week with me? He brings back this report to Paul. Hey, Paul! That church you planted has grown and spread. There are even people in San Antonio who are now reading your letters. I watched one parish, and I was impressed by the way that they walk together. They pray and support one another. They look to the power of the gospel even when it is at odds with the world around them. They hold on to hope even in the midst of chaos and disruption. And they're part of a network of parishes in the city that works together. Timothy might then tell about the meeting of the rectors of the parishes in our archdeaconry this week, about the bond of peace and mutual support in the prayer, the lack of jealousy or competition, the mutual esteem that flows between us. He might tell about our diocese and the testimonies of the power of God working with individuals parishes that we shared together on Thursday night, as over a hundred of our clergy, vestry wardens, and financial officers gathered on Zoom, a time of encouragement, of gentle admonition, and most of all, of rejoicing as we discussed the work of God in the stewardship of the gospel in the financial operations of our diocese. You know, I think Paul would write. I think he'd write to us a letter of encouragement, a letter telling us to keep being formed in the image of Christ as an example to those around us, a letter rejoicing at the power of God working in and through us, a letter filled with prayer, a letter much like the one he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. And so, as we come to this table on this day. May we encounter once again the living God, present not in mere words, but in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. May we be transformed and sustained in faith, hope, and love. May we be formed into a community of peace, a community of prayer, a community sanctified and blameless in the day of our visitation. Then may we go out into the world as a people firmly oriented between the glory of the cross and the glory of the coming kingdom, a people ready to proceed into a world in desperate need of the transforming and renewing power of the gospel. May we go as a people so filled with love that all who meet us will experience a deep desire to become with us imitators of the living God and partakers of the divine nature. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.